0: Hello and welcome back to How About That Crypto? I am your host, Bitcoin stylist on Twitter and Bitcoin hairstylist on Instagram. Today, I'm talking with Kamal Kurtulis, local tax accountant from Northern Virginia. And we're going to talk about crypto and see where this goes. This is gonna be great. You definitely wanna check it in. And if you like the content, you don't like the content, please leave a comment below. If you got any questions, please do that. And so what's up, Kamal? How are you doing today?
1: Doing well, I'm uh, doing fine. How about yourself?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. I uh, I had a pretty good day at work. And um, so for those of you uh, that don't know, um, so Kamal does the uh, taxes for the account is the salon that I uh, work at in Georgetown. So um, that's how we know each other. And we've had some little conversations about crypto. So
1: um, what is your experience with crypto? Absolutely zero. Okay. But in terms of trading and in terms of sort of, uh, you know, the mechanics as as far as what's being traded and all the platforms, I have no experience with that. What I do have experience is the tax implications that surround this. And for the first time over several dozen years, we're starting to see a lot of 1095s uh, come in, 1099 bs rather, which is the disclosures that now these exchanges are now giving to the taxpayers so in that oh, yeah. sense a lot of experience on that
0: okay cool yeah i got mine and uh it's a it's a pretty it's a much bigger number than i was expecting so i'm gotta cut a little off guard by my gains this year as, but, your,
1: as your jaw dropped
0: uh yeah my jaw dropped i tried to i, I use a software i paid for an, a software that pulls the api like taps into the api and gets a read only and uh it, it it does all the trades for me across multiple wallet i got like six wallets and uh and i or i use like five four exchanges four or five exchanges and three wallets and so i kind of uploaded them all into it and uh i messed around with the high h-i-f-o the f-i-f-o the l-i-f-o like all the different accounting measures i tried moving figuring out which is the lowest number and it's much higher than i was expecting
1: one thing as a tax preparer that I'm actually seeing a lot of uh, folks do is they'll actually buy a, um, a particular security. Well, they're not really secure. Well, technically they're securities in one sense, but they're assets. They buy these crypto assets, they sell them for a big gain. So for instance, let's say if you have a, let's say $25,000 gain during the year, and sometime during that year, you take that $25,000 gain and then you reinvest it in another security, another uh, asset, crypto asset. And then at the end of the year, I've had, I've had people say, well, why do I have to pay that $25,000 when meanwhile, the, you know, the price of Bitcoin and all these other crypto assets have gone down?" Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a simple issue. It's a very simple issue, but it's it's a, it's an issue that I think we could probably we should probably clarify. Once you sell an asset, if you have a gain on that asset, it's taxable. Whether that asset goes up, whether that asset comes down at the end of the year, is really immaterial.
0: So, what do you uh, what do you think? Like, you know, so when I got into uh, trading, um, I I had no intention of of trading to be honest with you i just i just got in kind of early and that number number went up like crazy and then i got a little nervous and so i sold it to take my gains and i sold it right near the top and last spring and then it crashed and i was like sweet i'm like an oracle you know so i and i started buying in at 30 and it just keeps going up and up and up and i'm like boom another oracle like i'm i'm the i'm the champ uh but then it crashed like 40, 40 to 50%. And, um, but I still sold it. So I had all those gains, I sold it, and then I put it back in and I got back up. And then it came back down. And uh, so yeah, I'm one of those people uh, where I'm not sitting on those gains in value in my portfolio valuation. So but like, I wasn't really prepared for that. And uh, so what do you have any like advice for how people can like? you know, kind of be a
1: little more prepared, not get caught off guard? I do, but I don't think a lot of folks would actually execute it because just the temptation of gain, it it, uh, it just creates so much uh, excitement that, you know, that, that discipline is sort of lost. And and the short answer is the estimated taxes, um, yeah. you know, estimated taxes where, okay, if I made a gain on a particular asset, I want to be able to sleep at the end of the year. I want to be able to sleep during the year. I want to have no taxes that I'm worrying about at the end of the year. So one of the things that immediate things that one people that people can actually do is the estimated tax. Uh, You know, the IRS has a website on there. It says if you want to make estimated tax payments and these are just projections. And usually the rule that I usually go by is maybe a 15% uh, is usually a good start of your game. If you have, $100 gain then just put aside $15 and and then just make that tax and just put that tax in so
0: that's good but that's uh, only
1: the federal side there's also the state side to that too so the state also has an estimated tax as well
0: okay and um is there like a do you have like a ballpark figure uh for that oh and by the way like I don't I don't give out investment or financial or tax advice um, you are a licensed professional, so I don't know if you wanna make a disclaimer before you give any more information.
1: Um, yeah, I, again, it's, it's, it's very, if, I, if I'm not your, your, your uh, if we don't have a client relationship yeah, there's always that uh, disclosure. But I would also add that the IRS, very interestingly enough, and we can probably share this link on the, at the bottom of the screen here. Okay. Uh, actually a section, Uh, in what is called an internal revenue manual. Now, this internal revenue manual is probably something like that thick. And the IRS says, yeah, we publish a lot of documents. We publish a lot of information. We interpret sort of regulations. We interpret what the law is saying. We come up with these publications. We try to give you the best information as possible. But you can't rely upon that publication is what they say. Yeah. Yeah which is very weird. Like if I can't rely upon what the government is saying, (laughs) whom can I rely upon? And, you know, so, uh, so what would, so let's just say that, um,
0: if you guys want actual, uh, advice, this is for entertainment and purposes. Uh, but if you want actual advice, we'll leave a, a contact information to Kamal. So we'll leave that in the description below as well as the stuff he's just talking about. Now that that's out of the way, what would you say is a good ballpark, uh, for someone to like estimate, like to, you said 15% for federal. Yeah,
1: that, yeah I mean, that, that's usually the average. I mean, as you know, we have a progressive tax system. The more money you make, the higher the tax rate you're gonna be paying. Um, so it depends upon the totality of the circumstances. It right, depends right. on where income is. Right. Um, income, your, your tax bracket, those are elements that one needs to consider.
0: Right. Okay, so um, set aside some money uh, for each trade and uh, that'll make the the, 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 the IRS bill at the end of the year, it'll make it so much less painful. Even if you got to pay a little bit above that number, depending on your tax bracket, at least you'll have that money set
1: aside, right? And yeah, and one other thing is the the IRS is not going to cheat you out of that money. In other words, if you deposit, let's say the 15%, And it turns out that when you reconcile at the end of the year, your tax return, or when your tax preparer does that for you. And it turns out that you're actually owed money because you paid too much in taxes. The IRS will, you know, they'll refund that money for you. Okay. Um, so, so check this out.
0: I got a question that I feel like is, uh, is on the minds of a lot of people and uh, they may feel like they know the answer, but I want to put it to you, the professional, um, So have you heard of this NFT trading stuff? Very limited. Yes, I have. So basically people are trading um, basically receipts like for for various digital assets uh, that are non-fungible. So it's like a piece of artwork, uh, 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 a song or a video. And um, so they're, they're trading them. They're buying them. They're selling them. So my question to you is, Oh, and in order to in order to buy and sell these things, the person has to buy a crypto. So, like most of them are built on the Ethereum blockchain. So you can only buy and sell them with Ethereum. So you have to go onto Coinbase or Voyager and you have to link your bank account, give them all your IDs. Uh, just like you would with any financial institution, and then deposit from your bank account into the the exchange, the Coinbase or crypto.com. and and then from there, then you can buy Ethereum. So let's say I buy Ethereum at two thousand dollars, and and I buy one Ethereum, and I want to go buy, I, I want to go buy an NFT, and it's priced at one Ethereum. So I'm like, perfect. You know, let's just ignore the fees. Well, that's really maybe we shouldn't. Um, let's say that let's just say i buy ethereum for 2000 i and then i turn around and i buy i buy an nft for 1 ethereum so i went from dollars to 1 eth and then i purchased an, another asset with the same 1 eth but when i did but at the time of purchase eth was worth $2500
1: but your, your your buy was two thousand. It was what you said.
0: So I bought correct? ETH at two thousand, and uh, then I turned around and I I used my that ETH to buy something else that was priced in ETH.
1: Right. Like I I've heard of folks, and I don't know how true this is, but you know they buy an asset, a crypto asset, for an X amount of dollars, and that asset now has has appreciated to let's say X plus five hundred. So what they do what they do is they take that asset and they purchase a tesla for instance or some other asset there are actually people that are actually buying cars with with cryptocurrencies um, in a sense that that way you would you're technically triggered a gain on that because what you're doing is you're taking something that's a crypto asset and you're exchanging it for some sort of a property for a gain right so it, it's sort of like saying you you have something and then you cash it out and then you buy it again. That it's. Yeah. It it doesn't change anything. Yeah. That's how I understood it too. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. There's only one way of not paying taxes when you sell something and that's uh, in real estate. There's a, some, there's something called 1031 exchanges where you buy an asset and then you sell it for a gain and you pay no tax on that gain. Provided oh, yeah. that you have the 1031 exchange rules, uh, that, that's what I can. That's the only thing I can think of where you don't pay any taxes. What at is all.
0: what is this 1031 exchange? I want to know how to not pay taxes. <laughs> so
1: in uh, 1031 is what is called a. It's, it's actually named after Section 1031 of the Internal Revenue Code, and pretty much it applies to. It used to apply. To assets too. For instance, if I bought this phone, let's say for $1,000, and I sell this phone to you for $1,500, I have that gain. It used to be the case, well, in that sense, technically, what I have to do is I have to report that. In the old days, under this section 1031 rule, the $500 gain that I had um, would be used for me to purchase another iPhone. So if I were to have a like-kind exchange of an asset, that means I don't pay a tax on it.
0: Interesting. That was
1: under, that was under the old rule. So okay. let's repeat one more time. Okay. I have an iPhone. I sell the iPhone. I have a gain for $500. Then I take the 500 and purchase another iPhone, not a television, not a car or anything like that, but another iPhone of like exchange, I pay no tax on it. But if I decide to finally sell the second iPhone, that's when I would actually get that gain. That rule changed with the tax cuts and jobs act under the Trump administration. Now it only applies to real estate. Okay. Yeah. So I take this real estate, let's say I purchase it for a million dollars. I sell the real estate two years later after I, Pretty it up, and let's say one million, one point five million. I'm, I have a five hundred thousand dollar gain. Now the tax code says a like-kind exchange would defer that tax, so you pay zero tax on that money. Interesting.
0: So you could essentially continuously roll up your money. Is like how like-kind does it have to be? Uh,
1: it has to be well the. The, the way the statutory scheme is constructed under Section 1031, it, it's pretty liberal. You can buy rental property and exchange it for a remodeled or, or a commercial property, gotcha. or residential. It, it's fairly liberal in that sense. Wow. The beauty of it is, um, you know, you buy something, you sell it, you have a gain. You take that gain and you roll it into the next property. Now, let's say on that third property, you decide to cash out Then it rolls back over to that first gain as well. Yes.
0: So basically never sell property and continuously roll it up and uh, take loans out against your property to get the cash out
1: of it. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. And also there's this generation skip tax issue where let's say 50 years down the line, you want to sell it to your children. There's actually a mechanism in the code where if you get your children involved, somehow you can... Or your grandchildren involved you could still
0: oh my gosh okay well i know this doesn't have anything to do with crypto but i'm sure people are pretty excited to hear about that oh my gosh so that's uh that's literally like
1: imagine if they had something like that for cryptocurrencies
0: uh yeah i can i can totally imagine oh my gosh all right well so we got we got basically understanding what a taxable event is, is, is it doesn't matter if you're selling crypto for another crypto or crypto for an NFT or uh, crypto for a real world asset. But every time there's an exchange of, of from one asset to another, that's a taxable event at fair market value, whatever the it price is at the time of exchange. So if you buy ETH at $2,000 and then you buy you so now you have one eth and then you take that one eth and you buy an nft it doesn't seem like there's a taxable event but there is if that if the value of eth went up when you purchased that nft then you owe taxes on that no matter what happens to the value of the nft is that did i get that right that sounds accurate yes okay cool yeah so everybody you definitely if you're trading nfts out there just know that that trading is that has multiple implications because you're not trading for dollars, you're trading for ETH. So you have to calculate the underlying value of ETH every time you're moving in and out. So it's like moving out of a different currency, but you have to calculate that what that is. That's yeah. I just well,
1: well take it one step further. Now this whole business with uh, the metaverse, um, where eventually you'll buy. I don't know about, I don't know anything about this, but eventually you'll buy real estate, um, you know, and I think it was one of your, I think it was in your podcast where somebody purchased, you said you meant you referenced where somebody bought real estate next to a Uh, Snoop dog. That's it. Yeah. Was that? Yeah. So yeah, that's
0: what it was. Someone paid like a million or 2 million. I don't know. Some or 500,000. I don't know. Some big number. What
1: does the world come to? <laughs> I mean, uh, all right, so let, let's take that example. So let, let, let's just make it simple. Uh, let's say you buy land or parcel of digital land, for lack of a, of a better analogy, and you buy that land for $1,000 and $100,000, and you sell that land in the metaverse, and, and this is very long term, this is not something that's going on now, at least I haven't heard anything, but let's say and I can just picture the IRS just taking the position where, well, in this, you know, you're, you're, in a, you're in a metaverse, you're in the metaverse, and you're not, it's not the real world, but it's a taxable event. I, I can picture that happening.
0: 100%. I think that's 100% accurate. I mean, if you, because like, if, if you're using a non-US dollar asset, then, and you're purchasing things inside of this space, then you're, I mean, even if you are using the US dollar crypto, like a, like a stable coin, or if we create a CBDC, it's, it's the same thing. It's just the difference is that that asset that's that that currency that's being used inside the metaverse is has a fluctuating value. And uh, I think that's where it gets messy for me, like keeping track. Who,
1: de- who determines that, that, that fluctuation? Like, is, is there like a market within that? metaverse
0: that uh so those all the coins on the uh all the coins are that are used in the metaverses that are currently being used anyway are are listed on multiple stock exchanges so they have a uh, supply and demand to create the market price and uh there's not much arbitrage amongst the market some people big institutional players can play they play the arbitrage between the markets, uh, the, the exchanges, but basically the market sets the price uh, and that's verified at the, or that's on the exchanges, but the, uh, but the, but the land, the value of the land is completely different because land is an NFT, which means that it's unique as the same as buying a house or another piece of property. It's like, so who sets that price? Uh, I have no idea. There's no, there are real estate agents that are selling these things and they're training to sell, buy and sell real estate in the metaverse. So I have no idea how they price these things, but there's a market. They have their own marketplace.
1: When it comes to currencies, the only cryptocurrencies that I can think of I'm an eighties man. So, uh, Disney dollars, you had tickets at the arcade. Those are one cents, uh, not cryptocurrencies but they're in a sense some sort of a equal totally guess, it's remember in the arcades the old classic arcades you'd get those tickets and then in exchange you would
0: yes get them. 100% yes
1: yeah and um, you know th- that's that's what i think of so just so i can understand this whole crypto business and how it works uh, disney dollars i mean i think i don't think they have them anymore but disney dollars was another um, universe yeah. for itself
0: well i also I always refer to like uh Starbucks rewards when you uh you know you can purchase you get rewards you can purchase things in Starbucks with this form of currency it's the same thing like disney dollars are only have utility within the disney ecosystem and they're a form of currency although I don't know that you're getting a taxable event if you bought if there or maybe if there was a market for them maybe you there would
1: be so in, in, uh, one thing that just popped into my head, and I think it would be worthy of mentioning this, where if you have real estate within, uh, within the metaverse and you decide to rent out that property, now they're talking about renting property. Yeah, rent- yeah. <laughs> so if that's the case, uh, I would make some sort of a bold prediction here, if I may, uh, my, if I may Please. do so, in a humbling manner, obviously. Um, I I would project that in the next five to 10 years that the same rules that happen in real life on rental property will equally happen as well as in the metaverse. What Uh does that mean? Yeah. Well, it means this, if you have rental income that is considered passive income for purposes of taxes, which means you're paying a less rate. It also means that approximately maybe three months of your rent on average, is probably going to be given to you tax free. Oh. Through, de- through, through depreciation expenses that yeah. you take. So, interesting. Old we'll come back to it five, 10 years from now.
0: Yeah, that I haven't thought about depreciation of uh, of uh, like a rental property, in like an income property in the metaverse. Oh man, I'm going to have to think on that although one. I,
1: I, although there's a footnote, a big footnote for purposes of land depreciation does not count for land. So does it Does it count for crypto land?
0: Well, okay, so check this out. Um, so you buy the land and the land basically gives you a certain amount of space to code. So what the, they'll do, these property developers will buy land and then they'll design it just like a typical designing of a house with architectures and architects and and interior designers and then they'll take those like renderings or those drawings and they'll give it to a 3D artist who does 3D renderings and like video games basically like a video game artist and they'll create it and it can and I don't think there's any vertical restrictions just uh width and like length and so they can build these things so it's like one person's building like an eight story or 18 story building and they're going to lease it out to like Coinbase and other there's HSBC just bought some land um PricewaterhouseCoopers they're talking about you know basically throwing marketing events you know bringing in like a a singer to do a concert and they can do it on this land in this venue
1: so are you saying that the Burj Khalifa if I decided to have something so tall as that that that's technically possible? I mean is that yeah. true?
0: And um and they can talk they're talking about how things don't have they can defy gravity because it's all it's all like your imagination like uh, so as you can build within certain limits of that land but there are other things that you can defy physics and gravity and stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. But yeah, I mean, if you build something, if you have something coded, so that's an expense because you're paying somebody to code it and build this 3D rendering.
1: Improvements. The, the, the keyword is improvements. Yes.
0: Okay. And then if you, it probably will require some sort of upkeep, um, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to do some research on this uh, depreciation. Like I would assume that as systems constantly are getting updated, they the value of your property would depreciate if you're running on like an old software or an older operating like an older version like you know iOS 2.0, 3.0 or whatever.
1: Or does this depreciation even exist in a yeah. first sense of the term? I mean, right. I mean, I, mine, I I still have the classic classic Nintendo NES system that I still play around with uh it it, it's depreciated in a sense where i have to somehow you remember you have to blow on it and then yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah (laughs) i don't know that's an interesting question um so i'm just going to change gears real quick before we uh before we finish up um uh what do you uh what topic in the crypto space do you love or hate the most what kind of gets you excited or annoyed or whatever (laughs)
1: You know, folks are you know, you mention a lot about, at least I hear, and I again, I'm approaching this at a at a at a humble manner. i i I'm not too well versed in Bitcoin implications and all that, but you know that we, I constantly hear a lot of I don't want to say noise, I just want to see a lot of uh, people talking about these types of issues where they say they buy Bitcoin because of its decentralized um, existence. All right. To that argument, I would respectfully say, well, are these folks, are these people that are buying Bitcoin really in in to buy Bitcoin because of the fact that it's not a fiat-based currency and the fact that it's decentralized, or are they really in it for a profit because it's just, it's just going to the moon? I mean, yeah. uh, I don't think people are doing it for philosophical reasons, per se. Uh, well, oh, we have a decentralized currency because if that were the case, then there would no, you know, th- there would be no need for these 1099Bs. Everybody would transition, right? <laughs> get rid of these fract- fractional reserve banking system. Get rid of the whole thing. It, it, it just, to me, it's just very unpersuasive at this point. Uh, people are in it to put food on the table. People have to pay their rent. People have to pay their mortgage. People have to pay their kids' education. These are you know overheads, personal overheads that just are not going to go away, and I, I just don't think. Oh, it's it's decentralized. It's it's uh, it's. Um, I, I just don't buy that part. I
0: uh, I, I really appreciate that point because uh, I don't I don't think that anybody in the crypto space should hide behind uh, any sort of like righteousness. I think that we should own the fact that you know there's a lot of people trying to make money off of this, especially when you hear about all these people becoming millionaires and like 10,000% returns and
1: good for them. Good for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's,
1: that's what the, that's what the United States is about. You know, if you can, you know, the American dream making money, that's great. Yeah. But come to me and say, well, it's a decentralized. I mean, there's nothing wrong. There there are, there are problems with the fractional reserve system that we have now, the Fed system and the central planning, but we, we also have to realize that in the past 100 years or so, you know, there have been more millionaires in the United States than any time in, in recorded history. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's quite a statement. Now, there is a lot of polarization in, in society, and unfortunately, you know, our politicians have not been able to tackle those issues yet, and hopefully through time.
0: Yeah, so um, I would like to uh, just kind of kind of expand a little bit. Um, like personally, uh, what I've seen is in talking to people uh, behind the chair about it and talking to friends and family and being like kind of dove, having dove down the rabbit hole and not being able to, or interested in coming out. Um, I've found that a lot of people find themselves, like, okay, for instance, I found myself into crypto for the purpose the libertarian anti-bank anti-government uh something that the government can't control and i don't have a lot of trust in the government i don't have a, i don't have any trust in like you know wall street bankers like i lost i'm a millennial and i lost uh i'm an old millennial but i lost everything when 2008 collapsed i lost i lost everything and i hit a bottom that um and I wanted to figure out what would happen. So I started doing my research. I went to school and studied business and minored in finance. And I wanted to understand what happened. And what I saw was that basically, people were making money by selling by on the backs of like, actually, let's not say this, because that's a blame game. What I saw, which is a fact, I saw Americans across this country living in tent cities, while people on Wall Street were getting these parachute uh, bonuses and like getting to walk out and only one firm went under nobody, there was no jail. Not that saying anybody should have gone to jail. I'm just saying there was like, there was a vast inequality between what Main Street and Wall Street. So like, That's why I got into it because I'm like, well, I want to own an asset that they don't control and uh, that's outside of their system because all I, and then like, and then I also see like massive inflation and like debasement of the currency and I just don't think it's sustainable and that's been a narrative of me growing up and you know my dad is like uh very he's like Q curious and kind of a trumper a little bit and um not really anymore he's probably going to watch this (laughs) and uh but you know he did teach me to like not be weary of the government so I got into it for all these libertarian ideas but That's not why I'm here anymore. Like, and I'm not, and I do want to make money. I'm not going to lie about that. But what I'm, the reason why I'm in it is because I believe, and like, I think the libertarian is argument is actually the argument that will cause the governments to go against it, which will mean that no one will make any money um, unless society collapses, but then you need still need the internet and energy. So it's not going to be useful unless society adopts it at some level. Uh, That's my opinion. So I'm in it because this is the first time in history that a normal common person has an advantage to invest in an up and coming technology in an emerging market before the banks, because there's so much regulation and they just can't get it Goldman Sachs just now is offering trading in crypto through options they had to go through all these loopholes to get around get around uh those the the uh this the the regulations there's all these accounting practices they can't keep these types they're considered collectibles and you can't write the values up and down and it's like all these rules that prevent banks from holding them on their balance sheets and all these capital requirements like they are they want to get into it they or customers want it they're seeing billions of dollars leaving their balance sheet to go into these crypto companies and I want to be in early. And I think it's still early. So that's why I'm in it. I'm in it because I can get ahead of of the big money. And I do believe that it will be adopted. I think the only reason it won't is because of the libertarian, anti-bank, anti-government. And I'm not against that argument. I'm just saying that's the biggest risk, in my opinion, of the entire space. And I also believe in the technology. Like I'm really into tech. I see I want to be able to trade my Starbucks rewards uh, for Delta Sky Miles. I wanna I don't want Audible telling me that my Audible credits expire at the end of the month because I had a subscription. I was like, fuck what? what the what do you mean I paid for those things? You know, I like that kind of stuff is why I like the tech and I like the first mover advantage. So that's why I'm into it. Um, but there are a lot of people that do get into it for the libertarian reasons, and they preach these concepts, and they buy and they hold and they just
1: constantly accumulate. And I you see percent, a lot of what percent. I don't know if, if a statistic would, would even exist for this, but what percent would go into it for those libertarian reasons that you mentioned?
0: Um, I think the libertarian I mean, I, 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 how, side. So there's. I don't, if that's,
1: I don't know if even if that's possible to even measure. I mean, how, no, how I don't you? think so.
0: I could. Uh, I could. Guess based on anecdotal data, and uh, I would say that you know, 20%, but there's a, like I would say like 40 plus percent or more, yeah, probably quite a bit more is in it because due to scarcity for Bitcoin and uh, the fact that there is debasement, massive inflation, inflation is finally being admitted that it's real, it's here, and it's a threat. You got J Money, J Powell, Jerome Powell, head of Fed, saying. He's going to he's willing to go Volker, what Volcker did, and he raised the rates up 15, 20 percent or whatever it was. So like when you hear that kind of stuff, you're starting to see like institutions start and wealthy investors coming out saying I'm buying and they're fine. So I think most people are buying for inflation, uh, but I do think maybe 20 percent are in it for libertarian purposes.
1: What is the actual supply? I mean, this inflation, deflation of debasement is another thing. I mean, it would equally apply to Bitcoin because there's only a certain amount of supply. Uh, I think you said 20 million, and then you said in one of your- 21 million, yeah. 21 million, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, who decides on that planning of there's only going to be 20 million Bitcoin and that's it? There has to be a decision maker
0: there. The creator of Bitcoin, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, is either is either a person or a group of people who created it anonymously, and uh, they started mining it through the perf- proof-of-work protocols, and the first million is sitting in a wallet. No one else claimed that million Bitcoin yet. Uh, it could happen one day hopefully it never happens how amazing would that be but they said they what they decided and the white paper explains this uh they said he said that it has a fixed supply so it's it's better than gold because gold is inflated you know when gold price goes up miners go dig more and pull more gold out which causes the price to go back down and there is potentially an endless supply of gold we don't actually know how much gold there is to be mined so it is it is um it is 21 million to po- eight decimal points. So it's a it's a large, it can be denominated down into eight decimal points. So it's a lot, it's a lot larger 21 million. But um the answer to your question is that decision can only be changed because of the program the way the pro- the blockchain was programmed. If 91% of all the miners agree to change it, it requires 91% of all miners, which mm-hmm. is so there's no. a democratic vote to it yeah but not yeah 91% majority um so you know that's the concern about like that's you know that's a, maybe a topic for another time but yeah 91% of, of the miners the people who are processing these transactions they all have someone has to put up a vote onto into into like there's like a like a like a dashboard or a platform where you can put a vote up and people and the miners can come on and they can like link up and say hey, we vote yes or we vote no. So proposals are made all the time on all these different blockchains and each blockchain has its own consensus protocols and requires uh, whatever is programmed. Each one has its own.
1: So So, there is democracy involved. That's good. Democracy is
0: good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, um, is there any last points or any last statements or comments you'd like to uh, share before we wrap it up?
1: Um I just the other day I I think it was one of musks uh maybe this is an old uh conspiracy theory where Satoshi Nakamoto was it Samsung Toshiba that was pretty cool the I guess the, the prefixes and suffixes of uh, Samsung Toshiba uh Nakamishi and then Mo, Mo, Toro, Motorola I think it was oh where, I didn't hear that no I don't know yeah the prefixes and suffixes used for those names—those uh, four businesses—conspiratorial. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know, uh, but it it, it, it did. I, I Musk, I think, tweeted it the other day. I think it was last month or so. Um, yeah. Samsung, Toshiba, Nakamichi, and Motorola. Huh.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. I wonder who who that is. I have no idea. There's a guy, Craig Wright, who uh, won some lawsuit case that people are saying that proves that he's Satoshi Nakamoto and he created with somebody else, and they're arguing over the IP of something. And uh, but guess what? He hasn't opened that wallet, so no oh, one have- is Satoshi Nakamoto until they open that one million Bitcoin wallet. That's right. Yeah, and when right. that happens, price will probably collapse. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it'll be good if they start unloading it unless they unload it slowly. But I think that that's one of the largest risks of, uh, of Bitcoin is that Satoshi Nakamoto reveals themselves and all of a sudden has 1 million Bitcoin. I mean, that's a massive amount of money.
1: Probably that fellow that died a couple of years ago. Um, his name escapes me.
0: It might be the Craig, Wright guy, Craig Wright's partner guy because the family was suing Craig Wright for stealing something. Um, I don't really know the full story, but I just, I'm just i waiting for someone to open that wallet. I mean, you know, until then, I don't care. <laughs> you know. But Very anyway, nice. it's a mystery. And I think uh, if Bitcoin continues to be adopted, it's going to be one of those things that people make movies about. There's an entire industry around trying to find out who that person is.
1: Matter of time.
0: Yeah, a matter of time. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's awesome to get a professional's advice, especially in the world of taxes around tax time. Uh, So if anybody wants to reach out to Kamal, you can uh, just use the information in the uh, in the description below, or you can shoot me a message depending on what platform you're on. And uh, we'll we'll connect you. If you have any comments or questions, please leave a comment below. If you're listening on podcast, please give me five stars and follow me. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, please smash the subscribe, ring the bell, help support the channel, and it doesn't cost you anything. Thanks again, man. Take care now. All right. Take care.